Greetings, Sequel Questers, and welcome to this bonus episode of Sequel Quest. You know, we had a lot of fun talking about the 1987 Dolph Lundgren film, Masters of the Universe, and uh, what we imagined, you know, really a, a more faithful sequel could be, so we hope you enjoyed all the wild fantasy action adventure we threw at you, but uh, the truth is that Masters of the Universe has such a history in pop culture, you know, from the toys, to the cartoons, the live action, that uh, we could have spent a whole show just talking about He-Man and, and the gang there, which is why we actually are bringing you this special bonus episode with a special guest. So, who is this mystery host? Well, he is the uh, webmaster at RetroDays.org. He is a devoted fan of Masters of the Universe and uh, even has some official ties to the world of Eternia. So I'm excited to introduce you to Tony, a.k.a. Vaporman87. So uh, welcome to the Motu Lounge, Tony. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, I think might have been a little overboard with my... Uh credentials there but <laughs> well just so you know folks this is going to be a little bit different than a, than a normal show it's just tony and myself having just a free-form conversation about you know our memories and appreciation for all the fun that's been brought to us over the years by mattel and filmation and all the other you know people who have continued the the legacy of masters of the universe but you know, let's just let's just jump on in here because I know we both have a, a lot to talk about. Tony, I guess really, you know, you kind of got to look at it. You you start at the beginning. How did you really become aware of Masters of the Universe? Was it the toy line? Was it the cartoon? How did you connect? I think um, initially, uh, my parents, probably like uh, most kids, uh, they had purchased me some of the figures during Christmas time. From there, I think my interest uh, in Masters of the Universe took off because I was also starting to draw a little bit. I was getting into art. I would kind of uh, use the figures as a, a study for um, you know, being able to uh, kind of draw characters and try to get the anatomy you know, correctly and to get it drawn correctly. And I was just kind of basically using them as my... Uh, my models for, <laughs> had for he bad modeling for your art class huh? yeah right <laughs> and then um, once i uh, started watching the cartoon then it really became more of a a bigger part of uh, you know my whole routine as far as uh, cartoons and, and um i think uh, it was probably the one property that i you know i had to have everything and i had to always catch every episode and couldn't miss anything, you know, uh, oh, yeah. magazines and the coloring books and read-along books. And uh, if it was a Masters of the Universe related uh, toy or uh, anything, I had to had to have it. Yeah, and they, and they really made that possible, right? I mean, they, they pretty much just, Mattel and, and all the other licensors, they, they threw out as much merchandise as they could. I mean, it was, I mean, when you look at the, the history of of just what Mattel was going for at the time, like you know they had they had passed on the Star Wars licensing, right? Lucas had come to them. They said, "Oh, thanks, but you know we want to." I mean, as I understand it, they were saying that essentially they needed a television property. They didn't think a movie property. They're like, "Well, it's in theaters and it's gone, so that Not you don't have promotion." Television. You know, we we want a television property. So thanks, but no thanks. Is that do I understand that correctly? Probably know that better than I do, but the. Uh 
that were the case, that was uh, yeah, not, not their, their finest moment. Absolutely, yeah. And, and but so when they finally got Masters of the Universe and they you know they got the whole concept together and it was such a success off the bat. I mean, they made so much money just in kind of a two year span that pretty much they just they really were throwing the name on everything and doing what they could. Uh, to yeah. to make to make up for lost time, I guess all the money that Star Wars had already started making years yeah, that, prior. That's one of the peculiar things about Masters of the Universe: the uh, the time frame that they had, uh, you know, from the time it became one of the biggest products out there, one of the best selling uh, toys had been produced, you know, up to that point, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, I forget how many millions of dollars I'd read a book. I think Roger Sweet. Had written that book about mm-hmm. uh, I think that's his name. Yeah, mastering the universe. Yeah, yeah, Roger Sweet. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, just uh, just the rise uh, of He-Man, the Masters of the Universe, and the sales that were going on up until I think uh, 83, 84, and then mm-hmm. 85, and then all of a sudden the bottom just drops out of it. Yeah, they had just like oversaturated the market. There was too yeah. much. People were just okay, 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 okay. We can't sell this much merchandise this many toys you've just their choices uh, are sending it back you know and exactly. it was just sad. i think they had pushed it to its limit once they reached a, a certain point the interest just dropped off yeah and i fa- think probably a lot of that had to do i think the cartoon had actually uh went off the air probably a year before or maybe even two years before the actual uh toy line had started to decline and yeah, well, because having... they they, they kind of they canceled Masters of the Universe, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and then let She-Ra kind of take over. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was still in syndication, obviously, but right. they, uh, they weren't producing new cartoons, and without that, I mean, to drive the sales. Yeah, I mean, uh, that they, they, you know, that was the controversy, window. right, is that, they're, they're, that it was, you know, a half-hour commercial for, for the toys, but it really was. I mean, that's what made it work, is you got excited every every you know, day that you were tuning in to see the next episode. And I'll just say, like, personally for me, like, you know, you got in on the toys. I got in on the cartoon uh, because I'm I'm a few years younger than you. So you were there kind of right at the beginning. And I was kind of coming into my consciousness, you know, around like 86, 87, when everything was kind of in decline. But the cartoon was still around. Yeah, I think probably around 85 to 86, I would have been getting ready to enter my teenage years. But I still had, uh, the interest was still there. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the kids my age, you know, they had kind of moved on to other things. (laughs) Transformers. I held on a little bit longer. And I wasn't in a hurry to become a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan. Uh, I I would always uh, basically hold on to uh, my He-Man fandom. So you were loyal to the After end. that was. <laughs> so now uh, the one thing, you know, obviously, you know, we're, we're kind of talking about the toys, talking about the cartoons. But when, when it comes to the figures, what was probably your favorite? Like what, what's the one that stands out to you that was just like, wow, you know, this is one I either played with the most or just had the best design or like what, what is kind of the quintessential uh, Masters of the Universe figure for you? Well, that's easy. That would be Roboto. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know what it is about the figure. I think maybe because I also had a fascination with robots. Roboto uh, with the mechanism inside that, you know, his gears would turn. You'd turn it, his 
waist you can see right right through uh, into his inner parts and i just thought it was kind of a neat figure but i also uh like the idea of a robot in the masters universe storyline yeah i mean he's de- he's definitely an impressive figure when you when you see roboto and like because didn't his mouth jaw move also when you turn yeah, him like yeah. I mean, he had so much going on just in that one action that it, it, i could see how that would definitely be mesmerizing you know you're just like wow this is so this is so similar to Similar to trap jaw, he could uh, you know put on different pieces mm-hmm. on his arm. I think he had a, a laser, maybe a, an axe-looking uh, uh, device you could put on his hand, and uh, maybe one or two other uh, parts that you could swap out there. So he had some neat features, and uh, I like the color scheme. It's just kind of wild with the. You had, you know, of course, the steel, the gray, but you also had uh, red and blue and purple and. Um, they just kind of, I think probably they had parts laying around and thought, what can we do? <laughs> no, did, to your knowledge, <laughs> did he, did he appear in the series? Cause I don't remember the episode with Roboto, but yeah, I yeah, probably just missed appear. it. <laughs> he was in the television series there. Okay. I don't know how many times. I don't think it was a, uh, I don't think it was a great number of times. I think probably I remember more of him from the uh, mini comic ah, okay. that was packaged with him, and of course, those mini comics, you know, the uh, the mythology in the mini comics differed greatly from the cartoon. You, know, you, you had, uh, I think, He Man didn't initially start out as a, uh, you know, a Prince Adam. You know, I think they kind of introduced that in the cartoon, and then they adopted that in the mini comics but yeah i mean it's definitely because and and just so people understand like because i think sometimes there is that confusion it's kind of like a chicken or the egg type thing it's like was it a cartoon first was the toy line first it was definitely a toy line first so mattel kind of like created these stories within within their mini comics and and that, that just came packaged with the figures and i think he-Man was essentially just kind of like a kind of a, a warrior from a tribe, right? And then he meets right. a, a sorceress, and she gives him more power, you know. Like, but he was already kind of kind of mighty himself. And, and that just, was confusing for yeah. a kid. <laughs> you'd be, you know, would read the uh, mini comic, and then you'd turn around and watch the cartoon, and you you would think, you know, this something's not matching up here. Yeah. Well, yeah, you would you would hope there'd is... be that communication, but obviously not. Right. So that a little bit frustrating, especially if you were a, a big fan of the cartoon. You'd purchase a figure. You'd want to see that continue, that story continue in your mini-comic, but it would be something totally different. The characters would be different colors. They'd have a different background story. I'm, sure, I'm sure there's plenty of like fan fiction out there that's tried to reconcile all of that, right? Somehow they've tried sure. to, to bridge the gap there. <laughs> and probably even uh, I don't some professionally written... Yeah, <laughs> there are maybe some books out there trying to bridge that gap. There, there's a lot of I don't know. There's a lot of uh, material out there. Now, uh, you know, like when when you know, we go back to kind of the the favorite figures. You know, for me, the one that always captured my imagination was the battle armor He Man. Or was it what, was that the official name, or was it Battle Damage? I'm trying yeah. to. But essentially, yeah, like, armor, man. yeah, about armor. Human. So, you know, basically, you just every time he got punched in the chest, you know, with the sword or whatever you're doing with the the rival figure, it would just show right. more damage. It would flip, and it would be more and more dented. And I just had just hours of fun just tapping that with my thumb, you know, as a kid. It just yeah, you know, yeah, that was kind damage. of a neat uh, feature. That was the beginning of what you were talking about earlier. The over saturation of uh, yeah it began with the the variants they wanted you to uh 
purchase He-Man over and over Skeletor over and over. And you had so <laughs> yeah. many different He-Mans and Skeletors. You had uh, almost got as ridiculous as the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles variants. Oh yeah, was. which were really but wild. Not quite, yeah. quite. <laughs> they seem to have a lot more, a lot more leeway in the the TMNT world. <laughs> they were just all over yeah. the place. Yeah. Birthday party turtles and just like I was like, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, but no, but yeah, with Masters of the Universe, they you know they just yeah added more gimmicks, but they you know they still kept it warrior based or whatever they were doing now what about like speaking of that then is there a figure that you kind of look at and you just say like this was absolutely just like the worst idea or most poorly produced or just one that always sticks out to you like why is it even here yeah (laughs) i think there are probably several yeah (laughs) i think the one that i had that i thought wow this was a total waste of money was uh extendar (laughs) it's kind of like a uh Poor man's mechanic, you know, yeah. except he could extend all of his uh, body parts, his uh, arms, his legs, his neck, and uh, I thought, what, a, you know, what's the point of this? You've already <laughs> kind of done this with mechanic, and uh, I think they were running out of ideas and. Well, that that's what's funny. I I was watching actually just recently the some of the the toy commercials. Extendar commercials pretty hilarious because He Man's like, oh no, I can't reach this thing. (laughs) They go, Extendar can do it. They show him, you know, stretching out. You're like, wow, because you know Mechanek can just look, right? Oh, Mechanek can see really far, but he can't do anything with his neck, you know. So you know you gotta have Extendar to to bridge the gap there, I guess, for <laughs> to make up the difference. You know, for me, um, I I always think about too bad. The reason being, like, just the figure itself was designed so poorly that he punched himself in the face, didn't he? Like, yeah. he had two arms, but yeah. they just two heads, and he would just punch himself. Like, well, what was he good for? I, I never understood. <laughs> like, how how is he going to intimidate He Man when he's knocking himself out? You know, I just yeah, it's too bad. I think um, that was not one of my, not one of the my better liked figures. Yeah, uh, he, he didn't he didn't join in in a lot of the adventures that uh, that I had there in my bedroom. <laughs> didn't make the cut. Oh. Uh, and I probably uh, Snout Spout was another one that uh, I, I liked his design, but uh, you know, spraying water, uh, just not. Yeah. Not gonna really intimidate the bad guy. Well, <laughs> the one who always confused me was Zodak, because I was just like, he's he's a spaceman, spaceman with yeah, a gun. Yeah, and, and they they that was another thing where they uh, didn't do a good job of keeping any uh, cohesion between the. <laughs> Between the cartoon and the mini comic, yeah, there's the... some confusion. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Because wasn't like the toy said he was a bad guy. Is that yeah, right? on the toy? On, oh. on the toy back, the cart back. You know, it's explained that he's an evil yeah. cosmic adventurer. And then, <laughs> first, in the really long story and the cartoon, he he's a good guy. And I think uh, I probably I'm guessing probably at that point they had just stuck evil on there because they needed to make the numbers even. You had Superman. <laughs> Yeah, Still, you had maybe one too many good guys, and so they thought we're just gonna slap evil right here in front of Zodak, and uh, that'll even things out. Yeah, yeah. Now I, uh, I I have a question just in your I I don't know how much research you've done, but there is you know as, as we're still kind of talking about the Mattel development of the toys, there is a quite a division I understand it in the in the world of Masters of the Universe fandom um, where. 
There's the gentleman we mentioned earlier, Roger Sweet, who's kind okay. of like the project manager of, of the Masters of the Universe line at Mattel. And then he claims, obviously, that he came up with with the He-Man concept. You know, he, he built the figures. He really just conceived everything he wanted it to be. But there's, all, there's another gentleman who's gotten, as I understand it, a lot more press over the years. He's kind of been more vocal about claiming he created He-Man. And that's a, a designer named Mark Taylor, right? Yeah, and I think uh, there's actually a documentary being produced. Yeah, Toy Masters. Yeah. I can't wait for that. And I think that'll probably um, settle some of Hopefully. that. Or at least get people informed uh, and help us to better understand what exactly was happening there in Mattel when, when all of that was going down. Yeah. The, now, the trailer for that is actually pretty hilarious. Like, they have this scene where they're showing Roger Sweet watching an interview with Mark Taylor where he's saying <laughs> that, and he's like, that is nothing but pure barbarian fiction. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that phrase, barbarian yeah. fiction. There's some I mean, animosity there, I think. Absolutely. Uh, probably little... not something that'll be settled by a documentary, but at least uh, fans will will have a better... Yeah. Yeah, able able to weigh in. I mean, the the way I look at it, I just like you know, if I'm going to throw my opinion out right now, is I, I look at Roger Sweet's book, and he's got so many details in there. He's got all the dates and like the submittal, you know, of of this proposal and this design and all of that. Like, I just have to believe he was really in charge of this thing. Like, I have to believe that he he really put it together. Like, Mark Taylor may have finalized maybe the look of some things, but I I think you know if you're going to say who is the father of he-Man. I currently, you know, put my vote in for Roger Sweet, but maybe time he, will tell on that one. Apparently, he foresaw uh, some a dispute like this uh, because to have that much information, right. Either documented or you know committed to memory, <laughs> he had to foresee something uh, within Mattel there that made him think I should probably put my name on some of what's happening yeah. here. I don't know, uh, know how much of a difference that would really make to the fans necessarily. But, uh, now, I now I'm they... curious, like, you know, because, you know, there's obviously the toys were a huge part of it. But I, I feel like the cartoon really is what, you know, got people's hearts, you know, just the opening, the, you know, credits of the show were enough to to get anybody devoted, I think, you know, just the transformation sequence of He-Man and all yeah. of that. But um, what, what, are, what were kind of your thoughts in watching a cartoon? You said, you, you know, you watched it religiously. Does, was there a favorite character on the cartoon? Because, you know, that can differ, a toy versus a character, how they're portrayed in a show. Yeah. Like, uh, you connect with? Uh, Rubato was, like I said, not often portrayed in the cartoon, and he didn't come along until later. But usually I would want to see... I didn't like any of the episodes that didn't have Skeletor. I wouldn't say that it, he was my favorite character in the cartoon, but I, if it was an episode that maybe I had seen before and I knew that Skeletor wasn't the antagonist in that particular episode, I might actually not <laughs> catch that episode. <laughs> skip to whatever else. Yeah. Uh, if, and even if it was you know, Count Marzo or uh, uh, some of the other uh, wizards, um, yeah. Neptu, you know, they would have... Uh, the occasional bad guy that had nothing to do with Skeletor and even minions. For some reason, that bored me. I didn't. <laughs> if it didn't have Skeletor or any of his uh, henchmen you know, up to no good, I just wouldn't catch the episode. Uh, but as far as uh, the character, uh, a favorite, probably as a kid, I liked Orko. 
Um, I like the the humor that he brought to it, but I wouldn't say he was a favorite. <laughs> um, I don't know that I could choose one, to be honest. I don't know, uh, and I don't know that I had one back then. Oh, yeah, you just enjoyed it overall. I mean, I, I'm with you yep. on Orko. Like, he was definitely, like, essentially, like, I would get my He-Man fix. Like I said, during the opening credits, that's really what I was there for. I wanted to watch the transformation. I wanted Cringer to turn into Battle Cat. And they gave that to you the first 10 seconds. So then, yeah. like, why was I still watching? I was always on board for Orko and just being, you know, you know, messing something up and just, like, you know, the pitch of his voice and just everything. Right. Like, I remember the I enjoyed the figure a lot, too, when I finally had that, you know, and his little spinning action, whatever he did when he pulled the, the ripcord. Right. But like, but by the same token, you know, then I, then when I watched it, I was like, well, who was the character that just like bored me to death? And for me, it was Man at Arms because I just looked you at know, him and I was like, he's a, he's a boring old guy. I don't want to watch yeah. him. You know, he, he was kind of uh, he he <laughs> he was made to be a lot less um, effective, I think, in the cartoon yeah. than what you think. Just looking at him, you know, the figure. You figure this guy knows how to use a weapon. And I, you don't want to mess with him. But as far as the cartoon was concerned, like you said, he was a little inept and not all that. Not somebody that anybody was fearing, you know, in battle. Yeah, and it, with the name Duncan, why is he named yeah. Duncan? <laughs> Come on, that is not well, a warrior name here. Yeah, I don't think they feel like they could have done better with that. Um, <laughs> help, help us out here. Yeah, I don't know why that choice came about. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Poindexter was uh, passed up and they decided <laughs> Dexter was the next best thing or, or Duncan was the next best thing. Don't go away. We'll be back right after these messages. Hang with us. We had some Orco related problems last week. <laughs> now, what are the right words? Let's see. Have a safe trip. Sleeping on the job again. So this week we are declaring Masters of the Universe Week. There were a lot of like standalone episodes, but then there were a lot that also built on continuity within the series, which I always really appreciated. I thought it was so neat. Is there like one for you that that really sticks out? Like, oh yeah, this storyline or this invention that they had on the cartoon? Probably any of the episodes that were written by Larry Dottilio were some of my favorites. And usually it seems like he was the one that they went to to write stories that involved introducing a new character. And he seemed to always be really good at, at having some kind of a powerful story for this new character you know, to be entered into the whole cast uh, of uh, people and creatures that they, uh, they had going there. And he would um, knew how to make it interesting and to somehow tie it to uh, 
the other characters, maybe their pasts, or uh, even the history of uh, Eternia. So anything that he wrote, I usually got a kick out of. Now, at the time, as a kid, I'd never read the credits. I didn't care who wrote it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Looking back on it, I I see the episodes that I really enjoyed, and almost all of them he wrote. So he had that influence that that kept you entertained. Yeah, like, I mean, just like when I I think back, and I'm I'm assuming these are things he probably had something to do with, but, like, the idea of, what, Queen Marlena being a NASA astronaut that crashed on Eternia? Yeah. Like, that's so cool. So He-Man is actually, like, half human. Like, I never thought about that. When you're a kid, you're just like, oh, he's just a big strong human guy but technically he's an alien if you're gonna you know look at it from our perspective i think that was um to yeah add a little bit of humanity to it so that you felt a little more connected to the character and he wasn't such an uh, an alien you know, uh, to the just the uh, casual watcher there and um, and even like even the idea that what they you know because wasn't uh tila was like then they should basically insinuate that tila was man in arms daughter but also the daughter of the sorceress ultimately yeah and uh i don't know how well actually i think he had i don't think it was his daughter i think it was uh he had taken her in oh okay it's like adoptive daughter okay Uh, if i'm remembering correctly i'm pretty sure that's that's right okay and you can probably google it and find out (laughs) yeah yeah just look it up on the (laughs) he-man wiki yeah (laughs) he-man he-man.org has got you covered right definitely I'm pretty sure that that's the uh, the backstory there, that um, or at least something that was a little more. They explored that a little more in the newer cartoon, I think, uh, with the whole connection to the sorceress and um, and Man at Arms involvement there, and there were a lot of things like that that they delved uh, deeper into in the cartoon that they produced in the 2000s. Mike Young Productions, I think, was the company that worked on that now, so now they, were there were there two kind of revival uh masters of the universe series am i understanding that correctly i only know of the one okay maybe I, maybe i misunderstood i misunderstood it well actually um well no you might be uh, referring to <laughs> you might be referring to the new adventures well, the new adventures of He-Man, I certainly remember. That was okay that, okay. that was that was a bit of a shock when that came out. What was that like, 1990 or 89, somewhere in there? And I just yeah. remember being like, "What is He-Man?" Like you, you saw him on Eternia, and we, like we were just talking about, he was technically an alien, but you never thought about He-Man in space necessarily. No. <laughs> and all of a sudden, now he's a space adventure guy stranded on a a new planet. Like there was was it really the future? Was that what it ended up being or something yeah like, basically uh, i think the storyline went that skeletor had left Eternia and he decided he was going to conquer the entire universe <laughs> and so he man and the these uh, galaxy protectors follow him uh, into space and uh, so they do battle they do battle uh, on different planets and uh, yeah I, that was such a, a change from the original cartoon and the original uh, characters that uh, it just didn't translate into uh, into uh, and you know the people that uh, they were reaching out to the kids that they were trying to reach they had watched the original series yeah uh, it wasn't that it wasn't that long exactly ago, still in syndication and you know, that was the uh, <laughs> that was the stories and the characters that they were familiar with and uh, now they were trying to reintroduce them 
I just don't think that went over too well. Yeah, I mean, it really just it came it came on you know as something of just like a generic adventure cartoon, like anything you right. cared about with He Man no longer was interesting. You know, you're just like, I don't I don't get this at all. And like it, like the you said, the action figures just... were so terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, especially Skeletor. That has to be one of the ugliest. <laughs> sculpts for you know big time character yeah i mean he kind of looks like like the skull of bucky o'hare it's like bucky (laughs) o'hare got splashed with acid and now he's he's skeletor with a buck teeth skull and i don't know it was weird i think it was just done on a friday you know close to five it's like head done and it was really awful. Yeah, uh, it just yeah uh, did, I, I, did not work out at all. Like I I I very vividly remember my buddy going and getting. He had like you know four or five of the figures. He's like, look, it's a new He-Man. I'm like, no. <laughs> no I will not. I will go to Ninja Turtles now because this is not gonna <laughs> this is not gonna yeah. win my heart. Uh, I think it's we're done here. They really had no chance. <laughs> Now, By that time, turtles had pretty much taken over everything. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they, they really ruled the world. But, you know, they did kind of make that one last-ditch effort. Like we, ta- we, we talked about in, uh, in our episode proper about the 1987 Masters of the Universe film. But I'm just curious, what was your experience with Masters of the Universe starring Dolph Lundgren? Like, how did, how did you come um, upon that? That, I'm fairly certain I watched that in theaters because, uh, again, I, w- I was still pretty uh, devoted to uh, the Masters Universe. and But actually, it was so forgettable. I think I just kind of thought, I'm just going to pretend this didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pretend that this, this He-Man doesn't exist and uh, this is not part of the whole uh, He-Man universe, Masters of the Universe uh, mythology. And uh, I, I just kind of forgot about it they they were really trying to push that in the uh some of the publications that were still coming out and i'm pretty sure that they had mentioned it a few times uh, in the he-man magazine and i was still receiving it at that time now was it wasn't there an actual contest in the he-man magazine where you could be in the movie like there's a kid in there right is it like pig boy or what's his name like the character that they put him in as oh okay yeah that you know I I had heard that. I don't know that that's true or not. Uh, you know, Mattel wasn't really good at living up to their promise. Ah. <laughs> if you create a character contest, that never happened. You know, they they had the contest and made their choices and. Uh, they said this is going to be turned into a figure, and uh, and it never came about. But the the winning design for that action figure contest was he like a camera character? What what was his deal? He that that was Fearless Votog. He actually ended up uh, becoming one of my uh, favorite one of my favorite characters. Uh, <laughs> but at the time, at the time uh, when I I had sent in my submission, and I was pretty certain that there was no way they were turning it down. You know, I had basically taken the shockwave from the Transformers head and putting it on, <laughs> put it on Zodak's body. Oh, awesome! And, uh, that was my design, and I was pretty sure they were not going to go any other way but with that. <laughs> uh, once I got my uh, copy of the magazine to to flip to who the winners were, I was pretty disappointed, and uh, of course. Uh, Fearless Photog was, to me, you know, one of the dumbest choices, <laughs> one of the dumbest concepts for a character I could think of. Uh, Nathan Bittner was my enemy for many years. <laughs> I had pretty well deemed him as an enemy of mine. Have you have you connected with him since? Did you ever make peace with him? Is he still in the in the Masters of the Universe world somewhere? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he is, and you're probably familiar with the new classics line that they're still producing. And then yeah. they finally ended up producing his figure. They did. Okay, I was going to ask about that. I was like, this it, it's such a fan line. I have to imagine at some point that he was going to. So, so Fearless Photog is an official figure now. And I was, I don't know at what point my opinion of Photog changed. Probably when the um, there was a, a big going on goings on at X Entertainment website, which Matt had uh, owned the the administrator of uh, Dinodrack. That was his original website. And he had run a little story about uh, the whole Fearless Photog fiasco and how Mattel never did produce the figure and what happened to Nathan Bittner, his creator. And then um, a whole series of posts to that replies started to build and build and build to the point where it had become the largest basically the largest amount of posts on any of his stories i think up, upwards of 2000 2500 maybe replies to that you could read through all of those and it was like a soap opera unfolding <laughs> People were digging into the smallest details, trying to find out where he was, you know, what he was doing now. And, you know, there would be the occasional lead that led nowhere. <laughs> Somebody would report their findings. And eventually uh, they had pieced together this story where he went into the military and disappeared for a time. He was a medic. <laughs> He came. He came back uh, to the states and had worked for uh, Bungie, the company that made Halo. And he was, I think, given the honor of uh, being called the creator of Cortana, character Cortana. And then he, <laughs> it kind of went downhill. He he got fired, I guess, from Bungie. Now th this was all unfolding on uh, a website, so none of this is. Uh, now, and, and th this is all fictional, <laughs> or according, there was well, it ever backed up by anything? Well, you, you know, it's the internet. You can't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> people were having fun. Just got taken with a grain yeah. of salt. But according to what these people had found, you know, he had kind of hit some hard times after that. Tried to start his own company. That didn't. <laughs> go over. There were prostitutes, and there was some you know, trouble with the law. <laughs> wow. This whole soap opera story sure. unfolds on this one post that was just started by Matt asking the question, you know, what happened to Nathan Bittner? And yeah. He's made it their mission to find this out. I, I had no idea, because, you know, if, if people don't know Dinosaur Dracula and, and X Entertainment, um, they're Really, the claim to fame over there is Ecto Cooler and the, the high C Ecto Cooler drink and right. breaking down the mysteries and is it coming back and how can you create it and all these different things. So the fact right. that, that this whole discussion of uh, Fearless Photog ended up eclipsing that uh, overall, that, that's pretty amazing. Now, the, for people who don't uh, aren't aware either, over at RetroDays.org, there is kind of an official mascot and it's right. and very much inspired by Fearless Photog. Then, that's yes. correct. <laughs> we, have, we, have, we have Photog Smurf. That's uh, right. <laughs> so you'll you go you go visit the site right there on the homepage and, and other other areas of the site. You'll you'll locate him. You could even buy a standee, you know, in the point store. Right. Uh, you know, uh, in, and who wouldn't want that? Yes, I mean, of course. <laughs> of course, my my wife, she's like, why does that Smurf have a gun for a head? <laughs> so so not understanding anything about the origins, she's just like, I don't I don't get it. <laughs> well, and you know that's uh, that was part of why I found it so ridiculous to begin with. <laughs> like, 
said, but the, again, you know, he became after reading and going through that whole soap opera uh, fiasco with uh, Nathan Bittner. For for whatever reason, uh, he started to grow on me, and uh, and actually, I, I own more of that particular figure than any of the others. Wow, <laughs> I probably bought really? Ten of them. So, so you have, you have multiple multiple versions. I guess there's probably only one version, but you have multiple right. uh, copies. Yeah, of it. that's great. Uh, of that one. Uh, Probably about ten. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, the other quick Never question I have. Dog. So he he's right up there with Molar, right? As you know, for, for those who don't know, Molar. By no, Molar. <laughs> inspired by a robot chicken uh, <laughs> yeah. vignette, little little skit, uh, the dentist of Eternia. Another one that's just kind of for the fans, right? Just to reach out there. Yeah, there were, there were several of those. Uh... <laughs> They ended up having a uh, another contest uh, for the 30th anniversary. Oh, really? Uh, and of course, I submitted my design for that as well, certain ah. that it would win again. <laughs> and once again, they denied me. It's a plot. Mattel is on thin ice with me. They're still <laughs> on thin ice for not choosing my uh, my submissions there. But uh, That's they rough. did pick another ridiculous uh, character that that I uh, totally hate. <laughs> which is Castle Grayskull Man. No offense to Daniel Benedict, the creator of that particular character. But I was certain that uh, that mine would be chosen, and it wasn't. <laughs> and uh, so now there's a now there's an actual uh, figure of this ridiculous Castle Grayskull Man. <laughs> so now, uh, the one question I have about that, then, maybe is there a reason you might have been ineligible? Because what, uh, you know, the big reveal here that uh, for people who don't know, we've kind of talked about some of the official, what, uh, publications of Masters of the Universe and He-Man magazine, things like that. But you actually had a, had a run as, as an artist, a contributing artist to some official publications. Is that right? Yes, um, although in a, in a very small capacity. Actually, that began as a um, comic strip that uh, kind of poked fun at the characters and uh, you know their world and uh, kind of put them in situations that were you know more familiar to you <laughs> than humans than than any uh, Eternian. So, uh, <laughs> and what was the name of the strip? Uh, originally, it was called He Man's Armpit. <laughs> <laughs> So it was basically the characters in a uh, in a setting, and they they were really buffoonish and uh, a lot of you know just uh, getting in a lot of trouble, doing a lot of dumb things, uh, and uh, it was kind of. Uh, you Did know, you have a favorite bit from from <laughs> your early run? Well, that just stood out to you, like ah, this is why I did this. <laughs> I don't know at what point I decided to do that. I think uh, nobody else had really attempted that in the forum, the, the fan art forum, and I thought, I'm going to kind of uh, create this uh, Family Guy-style <laughs> comic strip, except it's got He-Man characters, and maybe they have some characteristics of their actual character, but uh, I'm going to you know apply these other uh, characteristics to them that, that add to the humor. Uh, like, uh, for instance... Triclops was a little overweight and loved high. <laughs> Skeletor, you know, was uh, a little bit neurotic and uh, way too obsessed, you know, with besting He-Man, and uh, which, you know, probably something he shared with his actual character, but I kind of took it to the nth degree, if I could. And then you would, so you were saying you would post these, was this over at He-Man.org, you would post it yeah, in, the, in and, the fan uh, art forums? So I think some people liked it, some people were a little bit like, I don't like my, <laughs> I don't like my favorite character being treated this way. 
<laughs> so they, uh, I, I would do that off and on for a while. And then um, one day, uh, Val Staples, the uh, administrator of He-Man.org, and at the time was also a uh, colorist for the He-Man comic that had uh, been coming out you know, in the same time frame as the uh, new cartoon. So there was a little bit of a re- that revival going on there. Who, who released that? Was, that? was that DC or was that IDW? No, or? that was... Um, I think it was called MV Creations. Oh, okay. So it's kind of a more uh, so independent kind of its own outfit. little uh, independent yeah, publication. They had been working on it, and he contacted me and asked if I wanted to uh, basically do that same thing, except rename it and kind of tone down the fart joke humor. <laughs> <laughs> and and he, they would put it in the back of the comic book. And I thought, well, that would be awesome. Uh, this is <laughs> That's kind of what I'd always dreamed of doing was to you know, have something published, actually published in a, in a real uh, comic book. And so uh, I said, yeah, of course, and jumped into that head first. And I produced four strips and then uh, submitted those to him. And he would you know, uh, give me uh, suggestions on what to change. And, and then uh, I had those ready to go. And so this was going to appear in the um, Rise of the Snake Men uh, series, and that's where it, it did start to be, uh, it did start to show up. Uh, the first issue of The Rise of the Snake Man had uh, one of the strips in it. Uh, then the second issue, the third was ready to go, but it was right at, at that time that Mattel had contacted Val. The, Mattel had basically told him that they don't, didn't like the way that the characters were being treated. Oh. They didn't want them to be <laughs> to appear. No sense like of a, humor over idiots, there. You know, right? They did. They didn't like uh, where that was going. So he he uh, said, "I'm sorry to you know, have to break this to you, but uh, we can't uh, run any more of these." Uh, Mattel said no. So ah, politics in the toy industry. Ended about as quickly as it began. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but hey, two issues. That's not bad. You have That's two right. issues. There are two in. issues out there. <laughs> if you can find them, that have have those uh, strips in the back and i i went ahead and uh, posted the two remaining strips that i had on the website uh, in in the forum yeah that's um, awesome that's got to be so exciting just to have something you care about so much and then it was just you know a little labor of love there got some attention officially recognized I, and then had my uh, 15 minutes there <laughs> he-man fame and enjoyed a little bit of mattel you know he-man success yeah, myself don't go away we'll be back right after these messages E-Man Interview Part 3 I imagine as an artist this probably had uh, an impact on you, but I, I was so amazed by the paintings that would appear in the magazines and on some of the box art and things like that. Um, yeah. They were just a fantastic. I mean, was it just one artist on those, or were were there several that they? Yeah, um, uh, most that? generally, I think Earl Norum was the uh, guy that they turned to to do a lot of the box art, and he actually did a lot of the mini comic art oh, okay. and read along stories. There's a couple read along stories that he did the artwork for, and I think his art actually was another part of Masters of the Universe, basically drove me to try and become a better artist, to kind of mimic, not necessarily mimic, I suppose, but to try and 
hone my skills, you know, as an artist. I would uh, look at his work. I would try to get familiar with the, uh, how to how to pose the characters and uh, use uh, his uh, illustrations as a uh, as a reference. And then there, I would also use coloring books. I would trace coloring books, try to become familiar with the anatomy of the characters. And yeah, now, now speaking of some of the storybooks, like we were talking about, there's a lot of merchandise, a lot of books, a lot of things like that. One of the things that kind of burned me in the Masters of the Universe world at one point was uh, there were these videos that were these golden books videos. They had these like bright yellow covers, like the tape. You know, the VHS tape had like this bright yellow label on it. And it made you think you were getting an episode of Masters of the Universe. It was like before, like they were on like, because I don't even know if they really were widely available on VHS ever. And so like getting that, I was like, oh, yes, I've got I've got Masters of the Universe on on tape. And then I watch it. and It was literally a storybook. Right. Just on a videotape, like so. Right. There was just like you know pictures of the page art, and it was just like static images, like the old Marvel comics TV cartoons from exactly. the 60s. And you yeah. were just like, oh man. Usually <laughs> they were not voiced by the you know the characters were not right. voiced by the same uh, actors that were performing on the cartoon, and that was pretty obvious uh, even to a kid you know, of my age that you know these are not the same. Yeah. <laughs> these are not the same voices. And then of course you didn't have any animation basically no animation it was just like you said more of a storybook presentation and uh, if you you were a kid and you thought maybe you were getting an animated episode you would be pretty disappointed uh, by that yeah i mean it it was definitely uh, a letdown but now do you have like a like a more treasured piece of memorabilia whether it's the toys or like just a a piece of merchandise that either you've kept over the years or you finally got in your adult years that just means the most to you i think probably uh, unfortunately my collection didn't uh, it didn't stay in my possession I uh, by the time I became a uh, 14 15 year old 16 year old I thought I'm gonna sell these for money and I'm gonna buy whatever was cool at that time yeah. and, uh, oh. so they ended up being sold in yard sales and garage sales and um, which I regret of course now mm-hmm. definitely wanted to pick up a, uh, a robot in the package, which I managed to do. I, I picked up a couple of those. So those are two that, that I'm glad that I now have. Mm-hmm. I think probably eventually, if uh, by some aligning of the planets and some mystical force came to, <laughs> came together <laughs> to make it happen, I'd like to get Eternia playset. Oh, wow. So that's kind of the holy grail of right. the playsets. And not too many people actually had that. Uh, nobody that I knew of when I was growing up had that. I had Snake Mountain. I had Castle Grayskull. Never had Eternia. And uh, so I think one of these days, maybe. Yeah, and for those who aren't familiar with it, it is, it is a massive playset that actually has, like, tracks that are, like, that are like suspended off the ground, and there's, like, a little car that, you know, zooms around the tracks. I don't know right. if it actually fits figures. I assume it does. I'm not certain of that part. I know it, they did incorporate aspects of Snake Mountain and aspects of Castle Grayskull on each side, so kind of have the main part of the attorney place set in the middle then you've got the snake mountain portion of it mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of themed like snake mountain on one side and the castle grayskull themed side so they they try to incorporate the 
the Grace, Castle Grayskull and the Snake Mountain playsets they had already put out, so you could kind of play together as one, you know, uh, mm-hmm. set. And I never did manage to get that, just like uh, I never managed to get the USS Flag yeah. in G.I.G. <laughs> just one of those things that was too expensive and nobody I knew ever had it. So. Nobody, nobody, nobody could probably fit that in their house. Right. <laughs> one of those things, like 20 feet long, you know, just yeah, like 400 pounds. Wouldn't have fit that in there. Yeah, it just, just didn't make sense Yeah, back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, so the one thing for me that always stood out back in the day is I had the uh, just the light-up power sword. It was just like the plastic yellow plastic sword that lit up, and like that was like all I needed in life. I would just run around the backyard just forever and ever, just you know, just play with that. And, you know, even years after the the sword had disintegrated and all that, like I still wanted to kind of cosplay as He-Man. And I, I remember in junior high, so this is like you know early '90s. Definitely He-Man is off everybody's radar. And uh, <laughs> we were doing some some project in, in an art class, and I happened to have this, like, piece of brown construction paper that had really been, like, cut up kind of on all sides. And I looked at it, I was like, that looks like He-Man's loincloth. That's kind of, a, <laughs> it's got that furry dimension to it. So I literally, like, taped it to the front of it. And I was like, everybody, I have the power! <laughs> and they're like, What? Like, what do you? They're like that does not look like anything but inappropriate. Nobody went around when you were doing this, right? <laughs> there were lots of people around, and I was proud of it. This, this is uh, oh, unfortunately, <laughs> I was like, this is great, isn't it? Nobody agreed. They went back <laughs> to listening to Nirvana fun. and watching Beavis and Butthead, and I'm like, oh, I'm still in the <laughs> '80s. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Did you ever um, attend any of the um, He-Man on Ice? events or anything no, like I, that. No, I had a buddy who went to the power tour and he had the tour book and I just remember being so amazed because, you know, the, the live action movie had come out, but they, again, we, as we kind of talked about, they weren't, it wasn't really a faithful adaptation. The characters, there was no real connection to the designs. But the stage show, this live action, it was basically like kind of a live action musical um, of He-Man uh, it's on YouTube, by the way. You can find it. Uh, they they had like the characters in full on costumes, and I I didn't get to go, but I totally like devoured that book of his because it showed it had you know uh, a, kind of a headshot of each character in full costume, so you had you know. Uh, well, I mean, like, people you just weren't imagining that, wait, wait, they created Spouts now or whatever? Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're like, they, they really made a full costume for this person, re, you know, <laughs> Rio Blast, you know, I mean, he's got this giant backpack on, you're just like... Wouldn't I, you love to own one of those costumes? Oh, it would be awesome. Nobody else would appreciate it except you and uh, I, maybe, but... <laughs> well, that's true, but... Uh... Now, did you, you go? I never did get to actually watch any of those. Uh... Oh attend any of those events and again i think probably had a lot to do with where i'm located you know i'd have to travel an hour or two to get to any of those yeah that's that's true yeah like i grew up in california so everything kind of came to us you know if you're near la you pretty much get access to whatever's going on yeah so that is that is kind of the other speaking of which i'll just mention the other big thing this was in 1985. It was just another way to kind of push the toys. You know, She-Ra had just come out and everything. And they actually had at Universal Studios the Meet He-Man event. So you would go and you would you know, you could get your picture taken with He-Man and they would actually give you a figure. 
Like that was what they promised uh-huh. on the commercial. <laughs> like, come get a free figure and meet He-Man and Skeletor and everybody. And the commercial's awesome because it's just like dramatic lighting and they got the full on, you know, just like cloth costumes, you know, for the for the creature characters. And it was like this is amazing. So that that was another one. I did not go because I was I, I was only like three at the time, but I vividly remember that commercial because I was just like so so enthralled. I, I know that. Um, speaking of the the figures, um, I had a friend who I visit often. You know, go over and uh, and hang out, and um, he always had one or two or three figures that I didn't. Of course, that he had those three figures made me very jealous <laughs> so i would try to work out trades with them i'd be like i'll trade you this figure for that figure and uh and i i'm trying to think of uh yeah who, who had the most value that's what i'm wondering like who was worth right. like you know because like you're like i'll give you like i'll give you two whiplashes and uh and yes. a web store <laughs> you know for for your you know like who was your coveted figure would you say that maybe you didn't have back then probably um Early on, he had owned uh, Zodak, and I didn't. <laughs> and I, of course, that instantly made Zodak one of the coolest figures of course. in the line. It's like, wow, what, who's this guy? So I had to have that one, and it would it would took a while, I think, before I actually did finally uh, get Zodak. And then you're like, and now it, I've got him. What do I do with him? <laughs> right. <laughs> what is this guy well, good for? It's great. <laughs> now what do I do? Uh, yeah, he... Uh, I think that was uh, one of those dynamics between me and him that happened uh, with a lot of different action figure lines that we both owned. Secret Wars, you know, some of the other oh, yeah. uh, G.I. Joe, he would have a figure and I would instantly want that figure. I would have a figure and, and he would add that to his wish list. So to have a friend that also had, you know, some of those uh, figures kind of opened you up to uh, everything that you wanted. Your yeah. parents wouldn't spend the money <laughs> Well, right yeah, then. exactly. Well, th- that's that's what you had to do back in the day is get like your network going of, of who has what right. collection. Like my buddy who went to the power tour, like he literally had like every He-Man figure. And then and then, you know, when He-Man kind of had its run, then he had every Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle figure, oh, every funny. real Ghostbusters figure. Like it just seemed like he must have gone to the toy store every single week and picked out <laughs> something new. Because if it was on the back of the of the card, you know, <laughs> He had it, and you could just check it off. And I was just like, I don't believe it. And that desire to uh, have every figure Mm -hmm. would drive drive me to do things that probably I wouldn't normally do, like lie, (laughs) for instance, about figures that I had and uh, and actually didn't, or uh, you know, accessories or vehicles. That oh, wow. I didn't actually have, I would say he would he might uh, have picked up something and I said, oh yeah, I got a tack track when <laughs> I did not have a tack track. And I think actually that come back to bite me one time because uh, I had told him that I had uh, I forget what it was, what the item was, but he came over and said, okay, where's it at? And <laughs> I was like, oh, I can't find it. I don't know what I did with it. Yeah, somebody must have taken it. It's stolen. I think my sister took it. Yeah. But uh, he, you know, the, it would, that, that drive to have the best collection would sometimes turn a, a good kid uh, bad. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, you got to gotta watch out there that desperation now as we're just kind of wrapping it up here i am just curious you know um obviously we're a a movie-based podcast we we look to the future and then the what could be uh, the what ifs 
And I'm just curious, like, there, there's been rumors upon rumors forever of a Masters of the Universe film, you know, since the year 2000, probably, we, we've had stuff coming, you know, and, and say, oh, yeah, this, this director's attached and this actor's interested and, oh, here's, you know, a concept art that was never really concept art in a lot of cases. But um, what, what is kind of your, your hope or your, your belief in, in a new Masters of the Universe film? Do you feel like they would get it right now or are we in the era where that could occur? I think probably. I mean, with, with superhero movies that seem to be, you know, coming out every month over the past couple of years, I think directors and costume designers that uh, are involved in these movies are starting to uh, do a better job capturing the look and the feel and the attitudes of these characters that you know, we grew up and were very important to us. And without uh, changing you know, too many uh, things about it and without straying too far from you know, the source material, I think they've started to come to a point in the movie making where they are able to tap into that without changing too many things and people accept it and uh, can still make the uh, studio a lot of money. When you look at Iron Man and Captain America, I mean, the characters and the, their backstories and um, events taking place in the movies all reflect pretty well uh, the comic books and right. and the other source material that they draw from. And So I think they could probably do uh, a really good Masters of the Universe movie uh, this time around and stay more faithful to the cartoon and the toy line than what the 1987 film did which yeah. kind of changed a lot of different things if, they, if, if, there, was, if there was one character that you said like you know they absolutely need to, to put this person in there who, who do you think it would be that, that would just make the movie for you probably fearless photon <laughs> they put him in the special features they're like we actually filmed this on fearless photog you know like he, he was our camera and our camera man probably wouldn't hurt to include a couple of my own character so yeah there we go get get tony can, involved he's ready they definitely have my they can definitely have my price of admission <laughs> they do that I think it's going to be exciting if they ever get around to it. I mean, even at this point, you know, Michael Bay obviously has gotten a hold of a lot of these uh, childhood properties. But, you know, the first Transformers movie wasn't that bad. The rest of them, you know, take them or leave them. The first Ninja Turtles film he produced, I didn't care for it. But this new one looks amazing. Like, it looks like they finally got everything right that you've been waiting for. Bebop, Rocksteady, Krang, just like everything. Y'all you know, have to agree with you there. I, I just saw uh, the Super Bowl yeah. ad, and uh, they actually put, you know, this flesh head on a robot body. Yeah, if you can believe <laughs> and, it. And an, and a, an opening in the in the stomach, uh, just like Krang, you know, something you, you would never think they would do. Uh, which, you know, again, gives you hope that they might actually do something right uh, with the, a Masters of the Universe film. Uh, there's nothing too ridiculous that can't show up, <laughs> show up in a movie, apparently. Yeah, at, at this point. if any yeah. character is ridiculous, it's crying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I just think, I think if they if they could stay true and just pick some core characters, I mean, I think you gotta, yeah, just base it on the cartoon and give us, you know, give us Trapjaw, give us, you know, 
triclops you know like whoever you're right. gonna do just just do it right make it faithful they don't even have to be big characters like really they could just be on screen for for a couple minutes and everybody would be right. happy they can get blown up in a battle scene at least you did it you <laughs> there know? you go yeah that, awesome. that, i would be satisfied with that and do you have any uh any casting in mind for he-man is there any one actor that you've seen in the last few years and said ah if they were gonna do it he could well, be the one maybe it's probably a little maybe a little too obvious Chris Hemsworth yeah. is great as Thor, and mm-hmm. I think he would also be great as He Man. Yep. Uh, he's got the, you know, Thor and He Man have a similar look, so I think he could probably uh, perform that part. Yeah. And do it and pull it off. And, uh, you know, really beyond him, I can't think of anybody, uh, you know, the physique mm-hmm. and the acting chops to be able to pull that off. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I think he'd be a great choice. Absolutely. And uh, if you if by chance, folks, you're listening to this episode without having listened to the uh, Masters of the Universe episode of Sequel Quest, make sure you go over and check that out because you're going to be very surprised at our casting of He-Man. I'm not going to reveal it here. And you've already heard it. You are either on board with us or you just wrote off the show because you said you guys are ridiculous. But I, I think we've come up with something that uh, that would please get tell me it attention. wasn't the Rock. No, the Rock is not involved. <laughs> okay, well maybe you're not that ridiculous. Though. Yeah, we, we haven't taken it that far. But yeah, but with that, uh, Tony, just again, thanks for thanks for being a part of this bonus episode. It was great to chat with you. And who knows, you know, down the line, folks, if you're listening, you'd like to hear some more discussions i'm sure we could get some more people involved there's there's so much more that we we didn't touch on uh that, that we could get into so uh be sure again go visit at retrodays.org it's so much fun to be had there i mean there's old uh, audio storybooks that you know that you have there are links to you can download there's vhs art covers you know from your favorite movies from back in the day at the rental store i mean there's even you know you have the ability to submit stories of your childhood memories and things that mattered most to you you can actually earn points and then buy awesome things in the point store and which currently has some of the uh, the reproduction Masters of the Universe figures up for grabs. Is that right, Tony? And the uh, and the Roger Sweet book is also. That's in there. right. Yeah. So you can even get all the details uh, from right. from from there. So visit there and hey, while you're at it, read a couple of my articles. I I contribute as Hoju Coolander, right. and uh, uh, Tony's been kind enough to let me be an official uh, contributor over there for um, coming up on two years pretty soon here. So. We, we have a good time. You, hard to believe it's been uh, four years now almost. It's been, the site's been up. Time flies. Yeah, and get get in on the forums over there because there's, there's a lively group. If you just, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you're going to feel right at home and you're going to have a lot of, a lot of people to, to discuss things with. And uh, by the way, every Halloween and Christmas, there are specials that play uh, past uh, specials that Tony's produced featured the likes of David Hasselhoff and uh, Larry Kenny, the voice of uh, Lionel, among others. Uh, so, so we've had, uh, you know, some pretty, pretty big name stars involved. Who was, oh, no, Mick Foley, uh, right. you know, Mankind, Cactus Jack is, uh, has led his, uh, his vocal talents to the shows. So actually, uh, being that this is a Masters of the Universe episode, uh, I think I may be able to get Alan Oppenheimer to provide voice in, uh, this year. Oh, look at that. Skeletor himself. 
That's right. Jumping That's right. in. Skeletor, Falcor, uh, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> Duncan. Uh. You can have all those characters. In <laughs> all right. In the meantime, we, uh, we bid you farewell for now. From Eternia to you, good journey. Thank you, Sequel Questers, for hanging out with us during our special three-part interview during Masters, Masters of, of the, the Universe, Universe Week. Week. Stay tuned for tomorrow's show, where we post the granddaddy of all that is He-Man, our full-on reboot sequel of Masters, Masters of, of the, the Universe. Universe.